Thank you, Jason. Uh, thank you all for being here. My name is Fred. I am the lead pastor. Uh, and I want to start us off uh, in prayer real quick. So let's pray. Jesus, as we talk through the scriptures, as we talk through a story that is, is very familiar to us, the, the birth of your son, I pray that you will make it new um, and that you will make it fresh for us, um, that we will see uh, today uh, just the difference that you have made in our lives and that that will make all the difference. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. Uh, like I said, my name is Fred. I am the lead pastor here, and, and, and I do hope that today you leave this place, whether you're here in person or whether you're online, that you leave our time together uh, with more faith and trust uh, than you had coming in. And, and in particular, here's what I hope happens. Um, one of the words that gets thrown around a lot this time of year is the word peace, right? Like you see it on Christmas cards, you hear it in songs, you see it attached to what Jesus brings. The biblical picture of peace isn't um, a lack of chaos, right? It isn't a lack of a storm, right? Which is so good because Christmas season is kind of known for chaos, isn't it? It's kind of known for the storms of life. Many of us enter this season with a lot attached to it. Sometimes there's grief attached to this time of year. Sometimes there's, 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 there's tense relationships attached to this time of year. Sometimes there's a lot of joy and newness attached to this time of year. And all of that is really good. But the biblical picture of peace is a picture of a bird set in the cliffs in its nest weathering the storm there, that the storm is blowing around, around them, and yet they are calm, and they are protected, and they are relaxed. That's the biblical picture of peace. I hope today we're able to leave with more of that peace going into this week. Anybody need some of that coming into this week? Yes, yes. Well, let's let the Spirit do what only the Spirit can do and give us that. Now, last week, uh, as we go through this Christmas series, we stood on a hillside with some shepherds, right? And we saw this, this invitation from this, this heavenly choir, from these angels to see what God was doing. And we saw these shepherds come see a baby and see this baby as Savior and Lord and anointed one, right? And today we're going to see two people in particular. We're going to see four in total, but we're going to kind of hone in on, on a couple of them. And we're going to see them and how they respond to seeing this baby. And they too are going to see this baby as Lord and Savior and anointed one. And we will see from their vantage point just what the birth of Jesus means to them. Now, y'all, i got to tell you, here's why I think today's text is so important. Because uh, as we go through this text... I want you to keep this idea of peace and, and like Carol said, for the kids, faithfulness in, in your mind. But as we go into this text, there's, I want you to think about something too. I want you to think about what is it that you're waiting on, right? Advent, one of the definitions of Advent is waiting, right? And so, so, so the world was waiting for the Savior to come and the Messiah to come and the anointed one to come. And then Jesus was born, and, and, and the application of this is that we're all waiting on something, right? Maybe you're waiting for healing in your body or healing in a relationship. Maybe you're waiting for a better job or a more appropriate job for your skills. Maybe you're waiting uh, to be loved by someone, right? Maybe you're waiting for your kids to grow up, or maybe they've grown up and you're waiting for them to come back, right? 
We're all waiting on something. Maybe, maybe you're a kid and you're waiting for your parents to understand you. Right? We're waiting, we're waiting for that person that we like to like us back. Sometimes I feel like I'm waiting to like not need to preach sermons about waiting anymore, right? But here we are, because it is this universal truth. We're all waiting on something. Right? And here's the deal. When we wait, it's easy to think that waiting is bad. Right? That I'm not getting what I want. I've got a lesson to learn. I've got to do something. I've got to make this right. Well, when you look through the scriptures, you see a lot of waiting. And God uses that time to, to, to redeem that time. God uses that time in very powerful ways that waiting can actually be good. Because what we're going to see today is this, that the object of your waiting becomes the source of your identity. Right, The thing that you're waiting for becomes the source of your identity. What you long for today, you think will fulfill you tomorrow. Right, Ships. When they're anchored into harbor, uh, the reason that they stay in that harbor and don't blow away or, or, or drift into the shore is because they're anchored to something with substance, right? They're anchored to a pier that can, that, that can hold that ship steady. They're anchored to something at the bottom of the sea that can hold their ship steady. Your soul is the same way. Your soul needs to be anchored to something with substance, Right? And those things that we wait for what your, is, is what your soul can grow attached to for your identity. And what your soul is attached to is your identity. Now we're going to dig deep a little bit today. And, and not just in the scriptures, but hopefully in our souls. Because what we're going to see is when Jesus is what your soul is anchored to, there's peace. That peace that you said we needed. See, when we wait... When we wait, we get to see what the anchor of our soul is attached to, right? When we wait, we get to see what the anchor of our soul is attached to. And we get to see if it's attached to something with substance. It's an opportunity for us to discover if the anchor of our soul is attached to something good and holy and sturdy, or if it's like Mary Poppins said, attached, of course, she didn't talk about the anchor of the soul. She was talking about a promise, but she said this, that it's like a pie crust, easily made, easily broken. And if our soul is attached to something like a pie crust, we end up disappointed and we end up let down. And today, through the eyes of, of, of this man who is righteous and devout and this female prophet named Anna, we will see that when we're waiting for Jesus, when Jesus is the anchor of our soul, our waiting is good. Right, Because one day that waiting will be fulfilled. And when it's loosely tethered to anything else, we end in disappointment and we end up feeling let down. And so turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 22 through, through 38. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you the structure of our message today. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 38. Uh, for those of you who like outlines, uh, this is going to be the outline. Some of you are like, finally, he's giving me an outline. All right, here's the outline. Right? Verses 22 through 24, we're going to see a faithful family. Our stars are going to be Mary and Joseph. 
Right, verses, because uh, what we see is we see them faithfully fulfilling God's law. Now, now, Luke is the author of this gospel. That's why it's called Luke. One of the things you see throughout this book is that he loves to pair people together. He talks about people in twos. You have Mary and Joseph, right? You have Elizabeth and Zechariah here. We're going to see Mary and Joseph, and we're going to see uh, Simeon and Anna. Right? He loves to, to put people together. And what we're going to see as we see them is this progression of faithfulness. And so 22 through 24 is a faithful family. Verses 25 through 35 is Simeon, and he is a faithful follower. Verses 36 through 38 is Anna, and she is a faithful worker. So we're going to see a faithful family, a faithful follower, and a faithful worker. Right? And so let's look at this faithful family, Mary and Joseph, faithfully following the law of God. And by faithful, here's what I mean. So, so families that are writing this word, here's, here's what I mean by faithful. Right? Faithful simply means doing what God asked them to do. Right? That's, what, that's what faithful means. It's doing what God asked them to do. And the English definition, it means loyal, it means steadfast, it means staying true to the facts. That's faithful. And here we're going to see Mary and Joseph be faithful. Look at verse 22. It says this. It says, And when the time came for, for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So let me, let me tell you what's going on here, right? Uh, what Mary and Joseph did, and if you go back to verse 21, you'll see this, right? Uh, they, they fulfilled God's word. Leviticus 12 uh, verses 2 and 4. I'm not going to read it because it's about blood and circumcision just doesn't read very well publicly. Um, it's, it's what you do after you give birth, right? And so it's, it's in the law, and it, just, it, and it basically says that when you give birth to a child, there is a seven-day waiting period. At the end of that seven days, uh, you give the child a name. Well, we see them do that in verse 21. After that seven-day waiting period, there is another 33-day waiting period after the birth of a child. And then, after that 33-day waiting period, after that waiting is over, we have this. Look at, look at verse 23. Verse 23 says this. It says, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb uh, shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And so, so what, what happens after that 33 days of waiting, Mary and Joseph do what's required next as faithful parents. They, they take Jesus to the temple and present him as the firstborn of the Lord. And this is taken from the book of Exodus, Exodus 13, verses 2 and 12. And, and, and the idea of those verses is that God commands the people of Israel to take every firstborn child, consecrate them to the Lord, so, so you take them to the Lord, and you, I mean, every firstborn male, and take them to the Lord, and, and basically you give them to God. And then you do a sacrifice to basically have them back. Now, here's what's great about this. That, that process is called redeeming. You, you, you give a sacrifice to redeem the child back. And here's what I love about this. It is this visual picture of what it means to biblically raise children under the faithfulness of God. That you take your child, your firstborn child, which represented everything to the people of Israel. It was the people, the firstborn male was the one who would, who would take over the land when the father died. The first one uh, to carry on the family name. It was everything this family is was found in this firstborn son. And you take him to the temple and you give him to God. Right? And it's this picture for parents that this child... This child that represents everything of, of who we are, 
isn't ours. This child is God's. And I get to raise this child under the leadership of the Lord. That, that, that for us, it's this visual picture of our children not being our children, that they're God's. And our job is to raise them to be a follower of God, and then when they reach adulthood, to release them to do that. Now, here's what this ceremony shows. Now, y'all, for some of us, well, probably for all of us to some degree who are parents in this room and parents who are watching, this, this might blow your mind a little bit, but, but here's what this ceremony shows for us today. That parenting is about faithfulness to God, not necessarily the faithfulness of your kids. Right? Now, here's what I mean by that. Yes, we all want faithful kids. I'm going to give you a little parenting freebie here. Right? There's a proverb, Proverbs 22.6. I bet if I start it, you can finish it. Train your child up in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not what? Depart from it. Let me tell you where we get that verse completely wrong. One, it is a proverb, not a promise. Now, proverbs, by biblical understanding of what literature is, a proverb is a general truth. That if you do this, chances are this is going to happen, right? That's what a proverb is. If you train a child up in the way of the Lord, chances are he or she is not going to depart from it. It's not a promise. It's a proverb. Some of you, your mind are blown right now and you're not believing me. That's okay. That's all right. That's all right. Let me blow your mind a little bit further. When you look at that verse in the Hebrew, what's amazing is that there is something embedded in this proverb uh, that is beautiful. Because the it that they won't depart from them, train a child up in the way he should go, and, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The English translation kind of messes that up because the Hebrew says it will not depart from him. Train a child up in the way he should go, and it will not depart from him. Which means the truth that you teach your kids as you are being faithful to God to faithfully raise your kids under the leadership of the Lord, and you implant these little seeds of truth in them that God loves them and cares for them, and that Jesus will never leave them, no matter how good they are or how bad they are, that, that they will always have the presence of God with them. And then they rebel, and they leave your home, and they call you all kinds of names, and they do all kinds of things. This verse shows us that what goes with them is that truth that you implanted with them. That truth never leaves them. It's always there. And for some, it'll be a light that guides their path. For some, it'll be the lighthouse that beckons them home. And for some, it'll be that little gnat that keeps buzzing in their ear. Right? <laughs> That's parenting. That our job as parents is to teach our children the truth of God. And it's between them and God what they do with it. And so as parents, you are free. You are free to not be bound by the obedience or disobedience of your kids. Does that give you a little peace this Christmas? Your job is to teach them the heart of God. That's the freebie, all right? So that's Mary and Joseph, these faithful parents. Look at verse 24. 
Verse 24 says this, and this is their sacrifice, because here's another picture of faithfulness. They did a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, the way that this law uh, was designed is that this sacrifice to, to redeem your child back was to be a lamb. But there was this caveat in God's law that said, hey, if you can't afford a lamb, that's okay. You can do uh, a pair of turtle doves or pigeons. Like, like there is, it wasn't based on money. Uh, if you were poor, there was still a sacrifice you could make. Right? And because and, and, here we see Jesus' family was poor. They couldn't afford a sacrificial lamb. So they brought the, the turtle doves or the pigeons. We don't know what it is they brought, but they brought the poor sacrifice for, for Jesus. And here's what we see about faithfulness that faithfulness is not based on what you don't have. Right? You can be faithful to God even when you have very little. You can be faithful to God when you have a whole lot. Faithfulness to God isn't dependent on what you have or what you don't have. And so this Christmas season, your faithfulness to God isn't dependent on how many presents you can put under that tree. Your faithfulness to God isn't dependent on how many presents are under that tree with your name on them. Right? You can be faithful. Faithful isn't based on what you don't have. There is a better place to anchor your soul than what you do or don't have. See, if Mary and Joseph's anchor of their soul was based on money, they would say, you know what? When we can afford a sacrificial lamb, we'll go on up to the temple then and dedicate Jesus. But they were faithful parents, and they went even in their poverty. You see, their anchor was somewhere else. Look at verse 25. Verse 25 says this, Now there was a man, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. All right, so, so now we've got, we've got another guy. We've got, we've got Simeon there. So they show up to the temple, right? They've got baby Jesus with them. They're ready to dedicate him to the Lord, do this sacrifice. And there's this guy standing there who is righteous and devout. Righteous means wise, and devout means that his actions were based on his relationship with God, right? So not only was he righteous and wise, that's what righteous means, and wisdom means that he took God's truth and applied it, but that truth being applied was based on his devotion to God. He was, he was devout, and he was this wise elder in the community, but we also see here that he had the Holy Spirit on him, and in the Old Testament times, and right now, we're kind of in this interesting phase. The Spirit of the Holy Spirit hasn't descended on the disciples, and, 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 and so up until that happens in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit would, would visit people, is what would happen in the Old Testament. And they would get, the Holy Spirit would empower them for certain things and give them certain words, and then, then that presence would leave. And what we're going to see is the Holy Spirit did that for Simeon. He, was, he had this, this special word. Look at verse 26. It said, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Right? And so, so what the Holy Spirit told Simeon is that, hey, before you die, the Messiah is going to come. Now, last week, Matt did a great job of describing what that meant to the nation of Israel. Right? What these words, Christ and anointed one and Lord and Savior mean. If you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to it last week. He did this great job explaining it to him. So Simeon knew that the time was drawing near. And he knew with every birthday he celebrated that Jesus was that much closer to coming, right? 
What we don't know is we don't know what he expected. We don't know if he expected Jesus to lead this army into the nation of Israel to kick Rome out. We don't know what his expectations were, but we know that Mary and Joseph bring this baby into the temple, right? They bring this baby, and so it was a particular, an ordinary day for Simeon, doing what he did, being righteous and devout up in the temple, right? It was a normal day, and then here come Mary and Joseph, through the gate of the temple. And then this happens, verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up into his arms and blessed God. And so he sees them coming, and he takes this baby. Now, whatever he expected, he got a baby, right? He he takes this baby, holds this baby in his arms and praises God. Look at what he says. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, the light of revelation for the Gentiles and for the glory uh, to your people, Israel. You see, whatever he expected, he got this baby. And he knew by the power of the Holy Spirit, this baby was the one he was waiting for. Because he says, now, y'all, I can die. My waiting has been fulfilled. The thing that I have been longing for, I am holding right here in my arms. You can picture the Instagram story, right? Like, it's him. It's him, you guys. You know, like, like you can see it. He's, he's, he's fulfilled. And fulfillment means this act of being complete, right? It's where life comes to this full circle moment. And for Simeon, this fulfillment was found in the baby that he was holding in his arms. When he sees, salva- when he sees this baby, he sees salvation for all people everywhere. He got it. He understood this baby. This baby wasn't going to kick Rome out. This baby was going to be for all people everywhere, not just the nation of Israel. Right? And then he turns to look at Mary and Joseph, specifically Mary, and has this word of prophecy. This would be like, you know, if you've been here when I do a baby dedication, right? it would be like me holding the baby in my arms and praying and being like, hey, just so you know, I'm going to tell you about this baby's future. Right? Like that would be weird, wouldn't it? This is what he does. Look at verse Look at verse. You know, he says, he says that a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Look at verse 33. And verse 33 says this. He says, And his father and his mother marveled at what had been said to him, said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is, that is, uh, for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So like, like Simeon looks at Mary specifically and tells the future. He prophesies about this baby. And he says, this baby is going to cause division. Right? Doesn't every mother want to hear that about their child? Right? Your child is going to grow up and be hated by some people. That's what division is, right? That he will suffer opposition and you, Mary, will feel the pain that only a mother can feel. 
Only a mother can feel when her son is opposed. And we know that, that she sees her son die on a cross. And we know that she sees her son rise from the dead as well. But what it, also, what it also shows is that his ministry will expose what's in our hearts. And you see Jesus do this time and time again. This is what Jesus' ministry did. People rejected him, right? People left him. Right? People opposed him. People followed him. But what he continued to do, too, is he continued to show them what was in their hearts. Jesus continued to, to expose what their souls were anchored to. It even says in Matthew 9, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Like, imagine if you're having coffee with someone and they just drop that bomb on you. Like, hey, you're thinking evil right now. Why are you doing that? Like, that's what Jesus would do. Right? It's what he still does today. Like Jesus' model of ministry was to look beyond what people did and shine a light to the why they did them. Right? That's, what, that's what Jesus did. That's what, Simeon, that's what Simeon said he would do as he's holding this baby in his arms. And it's what he still does today in this issue of waiting is that time where Jesus is shining the light in your soul and said, hey, hey, what are you doing? What's going on back there? What are you waiting for? What are you, what are you longing for? You see, that's one of the ways that he exposes what's, what's in our hearts. It's one of the ways where he shows us where to find true and right fulfillment. It's one of the ways that he lets us experience disappointment so that we can learn to lean on him and learn to anchor our souls to him. And so what do you long for? Let me go back to our question. What do you wait for? Because your fulfillment rests in the thing that your soul is anchored to. Right? Do you wait for more money? Right? Do you say, if I had more money, my life would be better? Is that something that bounces around in your head? Do you wait for family? Right? If I had a child, if I had a child, my life would be more fulfilled. If my children would just come back home, I would feel more complete. Do you wait to be liked? Do you wait to be loved, right? If someone loved me like I love them, if someone liked me like I liked them, right, then I would be happy. Do you wait for a job, a purpose, a, an original idea? Do you wait for better health? Do you wait for more youthfulness? Good luck. Right? Do you wait for things to be normal? Y'all, we went and saw a movie yesterday. It was so awesome. Do we wait for things to be normal? Do you wait for peace in your marriage? Do you wait for peace with your parents, peace with your kids? Do you wait to be smarter or funnier, right? More popular, more attractive. The thing that you wait for is the thing that your soul is anchored to. So how would you answer this? If only blank, then I would be happy. If only blank, then I would be happy. You see, whatever you fill in that blank with, that's what you're anchoring your life to. That's what you're anchoring your soul to. And so let me ask you, is, is, is what you answered, and y'all, here, I said this before, I don't mean the Sunday morning answer, right? I mean your Monday morning, Friday night answer, right? That's what I want in that blank. That answer, 
Is it worthy of your soul? Is it worthy of your fulfillment? Is it worth placing all of who you are in that? Well, let's look at Anna now, because she's going to blow some categories too, right? Because we're going to see a woman who, like Simeon, understood where to drop the anchor of her soul, right? Let's look at verse 36. Verse 36 says this, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. That's a nice way to say that. Having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then a widow until she was 84. Now, now some translations say she was a widow for 84 years. Some commentators think she could have been anywhere between 84 and 100 years old. That's why I say advanced in years is a very kind way to say that, right? right? But the first thing we see about her, too, is that she was a prophetess. She was in the temple, a worker in the temple, and she was a prophet of God. Her job was to speak the words of God to people. Her job was to say this phrase that you see in the Old Testament a lot, thus saith the Lord. And her job came with this this, this weight with it, right? Some believe, like I said, she was 100 to 80. All we know is that she was a widow for a really, really, really long time. And here we see another thing about faithfulness, that faithfulness is not based on age or life circumstances, right? You can be faithful to God at any age. Empty nesters, you hear me? Faithful to God at any age, right? Parents of littles, do you hear me? Faithful to God at any age. Kids, do you hear me? You can be faithful to God at any age in any life circumstance. When we see Anna, we, we see that. If anybody had a reason to, to walk away from God, she did. And no one would have been surprised if she picked up the anchor of her soul and placed it someplace else, but she didn't. She was a faithful worker of God. That's who she is. Well, look at what, look at what she did. Uh, in verse 37, It says this, it says, she did not depart from the temple worshiping and fasting with prayer night and day, right? In other words, if anybody could ask the question, if only I had blank, then I would be happy. This woman, she had no husband, she had no children, she she even didn't have a great place to live. She was in the temple day and night worshiping and fasting. She had nowhere to go, yet her identity, all of who she is, all of what she anchored her soul to was rooted in her relationship with God. Right, So much so, y'all, that although she didn't have, at least we don't have any record of her having a prophecy like Simeon did. Simeon, right, maybe this is the way God works with guys. The Holy Spirit told Simeon what to do. <laughs> right? Like, you're going to live until you see the baby Jesus, then you're going to die. Right? Savior's going to come. Anna, y'all, this, she's one of my favorite people in, in, in this Bible narrative because she didn't have that prophecy, and yet, She knew Jesus when he came in the temple with his parents. She knew him as a baby because because she didn't let outside circumstances define her understanding of God. She let God define her understanding of God. And when she saw the Messiah coming wrapped in baby clothes and being held in the arms of a young mother and father, she knew that's 
him. That's him. You see, she didn't have a specific revelation about Jesus, but she, when she knew him, when she saw him, and for us, you know, the question is, can we look beyond our circumstances to see what Jesus is doing? Can we look beyond what people do to see Jesus in them? That's Anna, and that's what she did. Verse 38 says this. It says, in coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Right, and so, 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 so what she did is, 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 is she told everyone that Jesus is here, right? And so you had this man blessing the baby Messiah, blessing the baby Jesus, speaking prophetically over them. And then you have this, this wise woman declaring to everybody in the temple, Jesus is here. Interestingly enough, do you know who the first evangelist in the Old Testament were? Elizabeth, Right? When she was pregnant with John the Baptist and Mary was pregnant with Jesus, she's the first one that declared the Messiah is here. The second evangelist in the New Testament is Anna. The first two people to declare the gospel are women. Let that blow your mind a little bit, right? She's declaring to everyone that Jesus is here. You see, they saw this baby, they saw this Messiah as the anchor of their soul. And when they saw him, they were fulfilled. And so what do you wait for? Let me ask you this as we finish up. Where where is Jesus asking you to move the anchor of your soul? From those things that you identified as fragile and pie crust. Easily made and easily broken. Where is Jesus asking you to move the anchor of your soul from that to him? Now, this is going to sound hokey, right? But I want you to indulge me for just like 45 more seconds. All right? Some of you are like, go. All right. (laughs) I don't know what that was, but that was impressive. All right. All right. That thing that you identified that you're waiting for. This is where it gets hokey. If Jesus was standing right next to that thing, how would it measure up? Right? Like seriously, how would it measure up? Is it worth the weight of your soul? Because Jesus says, take your soul and put it on him because his yoke is easy and his, and his, his, his yoke is light. He's the only one that can carry the weight of our souls. Not that other Thing. Even if that other thing is a good thing, it's not an ultimate thing like Jesus. You see, if you stood them next to each other, what would you see? Well, here's, here's the task for, for this week. Take those things that you think fulfill you, those things that your soul is anchored to, and place Jesus there instead. Because for some of you, it would be the first time that you trust Jesus with anything. And saying yes to him is saying yes to salvation. It's saying yes to life today, and it would be your first step in following Jesus. For many of us, though, we have said yes to Jesus, and this will be just another step in our sanctification, another step in our spiritual growth. And what would happen is when you say yes to Jesus over that thing, if we can allow Jesus to be the thing that our soul is anchored to, the person that our soul is anchored to, the truth that our soul is anchored to, what will happen is you will experience more peace this Christmas season. He may not take the storm away. He may not take the chaos away, but he will give you peace in the midst of it. Let's pray. Jesus, you are worthy of our souls. 
You are worthy of, of the weight of our souls. You are worthy of the anchor of our souls being attached to you. And I pray today that we do that. I pray today that we, that we let go of those things that, that are, are like pie crust, easily made, easily broken, and instead anchor them to the rock, the rock of the fact that you died for us and were raised from the dead so that we can have life. In Christ's name I pray, amen.